to Superman the Movie Minute, the show that scrutinizes, analyzes, and you'll believe a man can flyzes 1978's Superman the Movie, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly, and joining me on this journey through time and space is... Chris Franklin. Hello, Chris. This is very exciting, isn't it? You're a dreamer, Rob Kelly, a sick, twisted dreamer. Your plan can't possibly work. <laughs> you should have said that at the beginning when I first proposed this to you. Uh, yes, we are We are here. This is our first, this is the first uh, show on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is part of the Movies by Minutes franchise. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it, with what that is exactly, uh, that is a podcasting format pioneered by Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson of Star Wars Minute, where they analyzed the Star Wars films one minute at a time. Now, this was something I had never known existed until, I don't know, just a couple of years ago when I, I happened to stumble across Return of the Jedi Minute, just as they were starting it. And I was like, wow, somebody's going through Return of the Jedi one minute at a time? That's fantastic, because it's a perfect thing to listen to while I'm at work. It was a daily podcast. And then I discovered that they had done, of course, the previous films. And I went back and listened to the whole catalog, and now they're on to the prequels. And it ended up spawning, like, a whole sub-franchise of these Movie by Minutes podcasts. So, Chris, are you familiar with these? Like, how were you listening to any of these before I, I mentioned doing Superman the Movie Minute to you? Well, honestly, no. I, this was this was one kind of podcast that somehow just flew right over my head. Uh, I don't know how I missed it because they are everywhere, uh, you know, and, and they're all on movies that I, of course, am interested in. Uh, so once you turn me on to them, I've been catching up. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, because you know, it's the perfect vehicle to just get super uber nerdy about your favorite movies (laughs) yeah i mean you really are putting these things under a microscope and so yeah i and and once uh uh, pete and alex started the star wars minute franchise it said it really did balloon into this whole thing and now if you go to the movies by minutes page that they have set up uh there are like dozens of these movies covered this way there's indiana jones minute there's spinal tap minute alien minute star trek minute clueless minute uh (laughs) beetlejuice minute caddyshack minute it was crazy so as I was sort of like, I would go back in and, and check on these pages and see what new movies were, were getting the minute-by-minute treatment. And I kept figuring at some point, Superman would pop up. Because it's Superman. It's one of the great movies of all time, especially, you know, for nerds. And I kept waiting, kept waiting, and no one it never, no one ever thought to do it, I guess. And so I pitched this to Chris, and I thought this might be kind of a fun movie to talk about. Because Chris and I, this is one of our favorite movies of all time. It's one of my it's in my top ten. Chris, it's your single favorite, right? Yes, it's my favorite movie of all time. Right. There you go. So I think it was a perfect – not only is it the kind of movie that Chris and I love to talk about in detail, it's a movie that hadn't been covered yet on the, on the Minute by Minute franchise. And so we thought, why not try it? Uh, now, we're going to do something a little different in that some Minute by Minute shows, they break the format and that they don't do daily shows. They don't do Minute by Minute like uh, there's the Big Trouble in Little China podcast does it five minutes at a time. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do, do Superman the movie five minutes at a time because unlike a lot of the other minute-by-minute podcasts, uh, we have a whole network where our shows reside. And we didn't want Superman the Movie Minute to like take over the network and be on it every single day. So we're going to do the show once a week. And we're going to do five minutes at a time. Uh, so we're going to get to all that shortly, the first actual six minutes of this movie. But before we get into that, just a little bit in terms of our Chris's and our history with the movie, Chris and I talked about Superman the Movie on the Film and Water podcast way back in episode three, I believe. We're up to, I'm, I'm up to almost 100 now. But it was episode three. We got to it very early. But I said, Chris and I love this movie. Now, you saw this. 
did you didn't you didn't see this in the theater, right? When you were a kid, you would have been too young, oh, right? No, no, I saw it in the theater. Oh, yeah, did you? Oh, was, how young were you? You must have been like a wee little kid. Yeah, I was. I was like, I had just turned right around the time I was turning four. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was a little too young for Star Wars, but I I just squeaked in on Superman. So. Yeah. Oh my God. That's <laughs> yeah. I saw this movie in the theater with my dad and my sister, and I loved it, and I still think it remains basically the gold standard of comic book movie superhero at least adaptations and while there have been other films of course down the line that i think are are in the league of superman no pun intended uh like i would put iron man in there and guardians of the galaxy and maybe the dark knight i still think superman the movie is the best one i don't think it's ever been equaled and that's why chris and i are going to spend the next something like 29 episodes uh analyzing (laughs) this movie uh five minutes at a time it's going to be a lot of fun before we get to that we are going to run some podcast promos from shows from some of our friends and when we come back we will get this uh this ball rolling with superman the movie minute so stay tuned my name is bob fisher and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com My name is Michael Bailey, and I am still kind of a bad geek. Not a fan of anime never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I ventured a little further into the worlds of Star Wars and Star Trek, and I've even managed to watch a little Doctor Who. I've also managed to not watch a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I've been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. Back in 2007, I started a podcast called Views from the Long Box to deal with this borderline personality disorder. Every week or so, I pick a particular comic or issue or character or whatever to talk about them, and then, well, I, I talk about them. It's kind of what a podcast is. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I'm joined by my semi-regular co-host, the Irredeemable Shag, or Thomas DJ, and the permanent semi-regular co-host, Andrew Leyland, and sometimes another friend from the podcasting and comic book world stops by to chat. The show is located at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, where you can find old episodes and show notes and links to my other internet endeavors. You can also find the show on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter under the handle at Bailey's Podcasts. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comic books or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every Tuesday or so at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com And we're back, and as promised, we are going to start with 
the first six minutes. It's a little, it's hard to remember because the first, the first five minutes would actually stop at minute four because there's the zero zero to zero fifty nine minute. <laughs> so we're doing the first six minutes of Superman the movie. Uh, this the the six minutes opens, of course, with the Warner Brothers logo at, at as it existed in nineteen seventy eight. Uh, so, uh, Chris, why don't you get started? Like, what, what, what do we want to talk about first? In these, uh, what, what are we seeing here in the very beginning of this movie? Well, the uh, I always thought the Warner Brothers '70s logo looked like three little pills turned on their <laughs> like slanted or something. I didn't see a W forever. So, uh, right, but right, right. I also didn't see an S on Superman's chest at first. I thought it was like two fish and a couple little other yellow bits on his chest. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> But uh, then we get into a curtain, and it's in black and white, and that curtain pulls away, and we have an old-school movie screen. Uh, after, uh, uh, But before that, we get a uh, little notation uh, for Jeffrey Unsworth, who was the cinematographer for the film. Yeah, he passed away while they were making this film. Uh, he worked on both Superman's Cabaret, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and he won uh, two Oscars for his cinematography. One of them was, uh, was posthumously. Uh, and yeah, this movie opens uh, in black and white, which is kind of a fun idea. Cause we're, and then we said we get the crawl where it says June 1938. And then the first thing we see, and this I'm sure as a fellow nerd, this probably drove you crazy, Chris. We see a cover to Action Comics number one, which does, is not the right cover to Action Comics number one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's always bothered me. I mean, it's, it, it's really weird because you, you've, got a, you've got a rocket escaping a planet, except there's two rockets. There's a planet exploding, and there's a big rocket up front, and then there's another rocket. So if they were trying to, you know, say, okay, this is Superman's rocket uh, taken off from Krypton old school because it's very Flash Gordon-y looking, yes. and we'll get into that that's not what this Krypton looks like. But why are there two rockets? Were they setting up Supergirl? No, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, it, it's really strange. And, and probably at the – I'm, I'm pretty sure when I first saw this when I was four years old – I wasn't aware of what action number one looked like. I, I may have seen some ads for the old uh, famous first edition treasury comic, but I kind of doubted at that point. Uh, so, you know, they, to me, that was the cover of action. Number one, I, the first Superman comic. And then I found out, Oh no, wait, it's not, you know, yeah, probably yeah. A, a few years later, but yeah, it's, it's a bait and switch on the action. Number one for, for some strange reason. Yeah, as a, as a nerd, it drove me nuts. It drew, I was like, that's not the comic. Why are we not looking at the comic? And it took me literally years. I've seen this movie, God, I'm, I'm into the triple digits with this movie. It took me, I don't know, the first 150 times before I noticed that second rocket. I've never noticed oh, yeah. that. I was like, and then when I saw it, I was like, what is, what is that supposed to, like, what? Like, it just boggled my mind. And I do not know, I've never learned, like, who did the artwork. For this, for this cover. Nope. I don't know who this is. So this is all custom-related stuff. And we get a slow pull in as there's we see this hand reading the comic. And, you know, the clue of the, the, the imagery is of a kid laying on the floor because we see, like, a carpet. And that's, you know, that's a very kid-like thing. That's how I read my comics when I was a kid. I was laying on the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. And we get that slow push in on the Daily Planet, which is kind of an interesting idea that that's the image that we see, that we pull in on, uh, of the yeah. Daily Planet. You know, that's signifying how important... Uh, the Daily Planet is going to be to Richard Donner's version of Superman. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think maybe what they were they were trying not to show Superman before you saw Christopher Reeve right. in that iconic flyaway scene from the fortress, 
and maybe that's what they were doing. Uh, the interior of the comic is kind of interesting because you're kind of following a beat cop who's got a nightstick and he's like, you know, going across the iron fence, you know, making a click, 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 click sound. You can just kind of imagine it. It, re- it reminds me of a, like a newsboy legion story. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure it's not because at some point he stops and talks to a bunch of kids in the panels. And, and oddly enough, Kurt Swan, who was, of course, the, the long-standing Superman artist and, and Superman artist during this time, he actually worked on the Newsboy Legion uh, early on before he even started working on any of the Superman books. But I doubt that has anything to do with it, but it just seems weird. And, and uh, the final panel captions match the narration, but the rest doesn't. So it's, if, you're, if you're trying to like read along with, the, with, with what's there, you really can't until you get to that panel that turns into the actual uh, you know, model of, of Donner's Daily Planet, as you say. Yeah, the, the artwork is definitely reminiscent of Joe Schuster. I mean, they're definitely trying to ape that style of what Action Comics mm-hmm. looked like at the time, as opposed to doing <laughs> Kurtzman, which I like. I thought that was a nice detail to make it actually look like what a Superman comic of 1938 looked like. I think that was that's yeah. a nice little effect, even though the cover, as we've already talked about, bears no resemblance to any Superman. It is very Flash Gordon-y uh, when, you, yes. when you look at it. So then we get we do a pan up over the the Daily Planet, and then we get our first credit, which is of course Alexander Salkind presents. Now all these credits, this amazing credit sequence where the letters uh, we have these blue outlines, and then they push in at the audience, are designed by a guy named Richard Greenlaw. Uh, this I only know this from the commentary track that's available on the Superman movie. Um, the commentary track is by Richard Donner and Tom Mankiewicz, which is I'm now listened to that commentary track almost as many times as I've seen the movie. At this point, <laughs> it's, it's my favorite commentary track of all time. But we get the first credit of Alexander Salkind presents, and then we get that slow stirring of the John Williams music. And then we first see our credit Marlon Brando, of course, which is gets top billing, even though he's barely in the movie and then gene hackman and then this is something watching this movie over again which i i don't know i just misremembered i remembered marlon i remembered the opening credits being marlon brando gene hackman christopher reeve superman but that's not what happens it's marlon no. brando gene hackman a richard donner film and then superman which is amazing to me that superman doesn't get billed over his own movie title <laughs> well, you know, Christopher Reeve was an unknown actor, yeah. so and, and you know they had used, uh, especially the the Salkinds. You know, they were a crafty bunch. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Let's be upfront. I mean, you know, right? The the project before this that they did was the the three and four Musketeer movies, and uh, they really only paid the actors for the three Musketeers and made a movie. <laughs> additional movie out of footage they had and uh so the actors sued them of course and uh then hollywood created what they called the salkine clause uh to be put into contracts to cover Is that really what it's called yeah it's that's yeah oh, that's, that's funny. what it's called. i didn't know that oh my god oh that's funny. Yeah, they have a clause named after them uh <laughs> their proudest moment it's right uh so you know they they went after of course they went after brando to uh you know just to get him in the movie uh, i mean i don't i think i think they could have cast i don't i don't know if it was their idea to cast him as Jorel or or if you know they, they just wanted a name to sell the movie and then when gene hackman they got him i mean they, they were plastering those two guys their 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 faces on posters with the superman logo 
and with you know Gene Hackman had a big mustache, and Marlon yeah. Brando just looked like normal old Marlon Brando. He didn't have the white Jarrell wig with the S curl or anything. So I mean, they were that was you know that's how they got to investors and backers and and uh, so you know Superman Christopher Reeve they of course they famously toyed with hiring every every living being that had a penis in 1977. Whoa. To play Superman, <laughs> I think, you know, all you had to be was a man and be famous, and you were in consideration to be playing Superman. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that photo of the little bathroom card that Richard Donner wrote as he was getting the phone call? Like, apparently, he was like in the bathroom when he got the call from the Salkinds, and he wrote yes. a bunch of names. And you see, it's all in Richard Donner's handwriting, and it's like Redford question mark Newman question mark Nick Nolte Reynolds. You know, it literally is like Ryan O'Neill. It's every big actor of the seventies was was running yeah. through Richard Donner's mind at the time. Yeah, and I mean, even people like Muhammad Ali were, you know, their names thrown around. I don't know how much they were considered, but, you know, obviously he was a big uh, Superman fan. But, uh, I mean, you know, a, but. That would have made a hell of a movie, a Superman versus <laughs> Muhammad Ali movie. <laughs> I would have loved oh, that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, I mean, it was right there in the tabloid book for you, right? Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it's. it's uh, <laughs> It, the fact that Christopher Reeve, it, it, it kind of gets, I'm, I'm kind of the same way with you when I was really scrutinizing this. It did surprise me that he was even after the S and everything. And, and amazingly enough, you get the Superman S comes up on the screen in that same fashion. It's really, really nice looking, but you don't get that super sweet Superman, the movie logo no, that's on everything. No. That's like the classic Superman logo, but it's made out of like glass or crystal you know, it's 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 very distinctive, but it's it's the classic logo just reinterpreted uh, to make it just seem more epic. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of a shame that it it just comes up. Superman just comes up in the regular uh, font, but of course, when it does come up, John Williams' score, as Richard Donner points out, actually says Superman. Superman. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. And I, I mean, I love the idea that the first red and yellow we see in the movie is the S shield. Vi- yeah. vi- visually, that's a great, that's a real slam bang that we're not seeing any Superman colors until we get the S shield. So I think it's, you know, it's really very beautiful. And so, yeah, we see Christopher Reeve's name come in, Superman. And it's funny, on the posters, of course, it's Superman the movie. Uh, and the movie itself is not called Superman the movie. The movie is just called Superman. Uh, mm-hmm. Back back then, you know, when it was things were turned into movies, it was kind of a bigger deal, or not a bigger deal, but it was it had to be delineated. This is the movie, and now they don't do that anymore. It's not Avengers the movie, or you know, Spider Man the movie. It's just Spider Man or whatever. Everybody knows what we're talking about. So, uh, we well, it could have been too. Superman had so many other media interpretations that were still yeah. on TV. The George Reeves show was still in heavy syndication and the call the, the filmation cartoons and things. So maybe they just did that to say, no, this is new. This is, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't some, the TV show strung together out in the theater. This is a new thing. You right. Know? This is not Superman versus the Mole Man. This is a real movie <laughs> that we put together. So after we get Christopher Reeve, uh, we get the cast, which is listed alphabetically as a kid that always sort of confused me because I never knew that you did it that way. I always figured it was, had something to do with importance to the movie. But it was, so yeah. the first name we get is Ned Beatty, and I'm like, oh, okay, Otis, he's kind of important, you know? I'm like, all right, I can understand that. And you get Jackie Cooper as, of course, uh, Perry White, and I'm like, okay, you know, that's fine. It all makes sense, and all these names coming in. Glenn Ford, of course. Glenn Ford is Pa Kent. Probably my favorite, probably my favorite performance in this movie, but we'll get to mm. that. And then the one that confuses me is Trevor Howard. 
Trevor Howard is fourth, even though he literally has, I think, two lines in the movie, and one of them is in the extra scenes in the director's cut. So I think in the – oh, we should – you know, I don't even mention this. The version we're doing is the original theatrical – 143-minute version of Superman. That's the one that Chris and I are talking about. So I think in, right. in, in, the, in the cinematic release, Trevor Howard has one line, I think, or two. Uh, he yeah. Says, he says guilty. So, But, I mean, it always confused me that he's fourth build in this movie. I was like, why, why is he so – but it is – oh, okay, it's alphabetical, of course, because right after that is Margot Kidder, who, you know, as Lois Lane, kind of important to the story. Right. It's, it's kind of odd. You know, I, I think nowadays – you may see, you know, uh, Brando and Hackman uh, level actors up front, but then I think you would have seen Reeve and then Kidder, yeah. and then maybe go alphabetical after that. But it is kind of odd that, of course, I guess she hadn't really done anything. I mean, she had been around, she'd been in several things, but she hadn't hit star status no. or anything. So, you know, so she was, you know, but it, it, it does seem kind of wrong, as important as she is. She's essentially the second lead. That she doesn't, you know, <laughs> that she doesn't rank above, like you said, Trevor Howard, just yeah. because of the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, all Trevor Howard gets to say is guilty. Like, that's it. Like, this is his whole thing. You got to go home after that. So following uh, Margot Kidder is Jack O'Halloran as non, of course. And again, it's weird that we'll see later on. And we shouldn't even be jumping ahead this early. But like that Sarah Douglas, who will play Ursa, is not in these credits. She's in the also credits afterwards. So right. she, Jack O'Halloran, no, Jack O'Halloran had been in a bunch of movies before this. He played uh, uh, Moose Malloy in, uh, oh, shoot, a Robert Mitchum movie. I'm blanking on the name of it. But, I mean, he had had actually a, somewhat of a career before this. So I guess he had enough of a, of a name presence to be able to get in. And then we get Valerie Prine as Miss Tessmacher, an early crush of mine. Yes. Of many, many young boys. Uh, <laughs> Maria <laughs> Schell. Maria Schell, another, another actor with very few lines up on Krypton. And again, it's the, the music is playing. And, you know, I don't know, Chris. Like, John Williams has done so many great themes, of course, Star Wars and Raiders. I think for my money, my favorite theme he ever did is Superman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to pick, but, I mean, there's no bad John Williams score. I mean, and in, in fact, even his lesser scores are better than most great composers, great scores, yep. uh, you know, uh, but yeah, this is, I, I don't think he did one that encapsulates, uh, the character better than, than this, you know, I, I, I just don't, it just fills and, you and with it, energy, right. It just makes you, yeah, it does. It just, I was mowing my yard to it yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, because I knew we were going to do this and I was all pumped up, you know, like, you know, turning the corners in my riding lawnmower, you know, so it's, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it gets you going, you know, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's the tops. I mean, I, it's hard to say. I mean, you got Star Wars, like you say, you got Raiders, uh, you know, Jaws and everything, but, but yeah, it's, it's got to be Superman for me anyway. Yeah, it's just so stirring. So then we get Terrence Stamp, of course, we'll be bigger, bigger later on, and Phyllis Thaxter playing Ma Kent. Uh, and he said, it's, again, it just, it shouldn't, Susanna York uh, plays uh, Laura. And, uh, you know, again, it's like for how long these credits go, it really is. First of all, the visuals are, are so stirring and the music is so perfect. And then we get Jeff East and Mark McClure. So we get them cutting. Now they, they have to share a card together. So now we're in kind of the secondary cast. Uh, this yeah. And then Jeff East gets a lot to do. I mean, you don't, you don't hear his voice because Christopher Reeves does his voice. Either. <laughs> 
you don't get to see his nose either. But him and Mark McClure get a lot more to do than the the, the Krypton Council. But yeah. <laughs> doesn't seem right. Yeah, yeah. Sarah Douglas. The time we see Sarah Douglas finally and Harry Andrews, and they have to share a card again. I think it has a lot to do with the kind of heft. And that's it for the cast. And then we get the production designer John Barry, who, you know, just based on this film alone, genius. Absolute yeah. genius. And the fact that, and you know what, we're going to be cribbing a lot, at least I will be, cribbing a lot of my info from the audio commentary. Because, as I said, the, the commentary that Donner and Mankiewicz did is so fun and so informative. And so much of my knowledge of this movie's backstory is based on what they've told. But, I mean, John Barry apparently, like, he managed to put this entire production together in terms of the look in, like, 11 weeks? It's unheard of. I mean, and this is this is think about this is 1978 technology when, you know, you couldn't email pictures of your ideas to somebody and get instant feedback. You know, you had to like, you know, mail them, you know, and be like, send them over. I'll take a look at it. Like, that's just staggering that he created a film with so many distinct visuals in less than three months. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that he just came off of Star Wars, I mean. What a hot streak, oh, you know? Jeez. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And, and, you know, apparently Donner was not very happy that he didn't get uh, nominated for an Oscar uh, for he this. He didn't even because, get nominated? Uh, well, well, okay, maybe he, did, maybe he did get nominated, but he didn't okay. win. I don't, I'm oh, not – I have to check, check on that one. But, but, yeah, he was, you know, upset because apparently the movie that won that year was some movie about some hotel in California that – He's like, that place exists. This guy created a whole world. You know, wow. it's like. Did, you know, I just looked it up. He did not even get nominated. That oh. is ridiculous. That, oh, my that God. Is. That's absurd. That's ridiculous. So then we, get, then we get Jeffrey Unworth's, Jeffrey Unworth's credits uh, as the cinematographer. Uh, and uh, the editor, Stuart Baird, who, of course, would go on to work with Richard Donner and a bunch of films he went on to even direct some of his own films. Stuart Baird directed uh, Star Trek Nemesis, which will probably never get the minute-by-minute treatment as far as, I, as far as I'm concerned, even by the Star Trek guys probably. But uh, he actually uh, he worked with Donner before on um, The Omen. They worked together oh, on man. The Omen, so they knew each other and apparently had kind of a, as they as Donner puts it, hate-hate relationship working together. Uh, and then we get the, the music by John Williams and the, this sort of firecracker effect coming towards the screen, which again is really uh, quite beautiful. And then Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, which I'm sure like you, Chris, like every other comic nerd, you're so happy when you see the creator credits early oh, in yeah. the front of a movie. Yes, definitely. And and I think, uh, you know, we, we can't give enough credit to uh, Neil Adams on this one because he really, when he heard there was going to be a Superman movie, he really, that's when he started his shame campaign against Warner Brothers in D.C., uh, to give credit to uh, Siegel and Schuster, and uh, you know, he got him on talk shows and and magazine interviews, and uh, basically, Warner Brothers was forced to, you know, acknowledge them and to begin to compensate them uh, because he knew this movie was coming out, and and they were going to make a, a ton of money on this, and and you know, good for him, good on him. I mean, he he flew that flag and and got him this credit, so. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, he took it in the teeth. I mean, he definitely sort of, uh, you know, risked a lot because he, I mean, you know, he was kind of phasing out from his work at DC at that point. Continuity Studios was a thriving thing, but he nevertheless was at the, the, the peak of his career and he was risking a lot by shaming DC into what he did. But but uh, him and Jules Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer was a big part of it as well. Right, uh, right, and, yes. And, 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 you know, it just, you you didn't, 
you know, there weren't a lot of comic book movies really before this, but we certainly never saw like Bob Kane get credit on the Batman TV show up up front. You didn't see any of Not that. Not up front, no. no. Yeah, it was in the so back. It's yeah. in the back. So to see Siegel and Schuster's name up front is is really it, it makes me like like be a little corny, like a little misty eyed because I'm just like, there they are. You know, they finally got th- their names alongside all these other legends they're they're the two guys that did all this and so that's that i think that's fantastic so then the next credit is story by mario puzo who you know first of all we have him to thank for there's no superman movie adaptation uh by dc comics (laughs) uh yes yeah we'll get into that in a whole other podcast i think at some point and then we get the screenplay credits where it's david newman leslie newman and robert benton now, I am not really familiar with what their contributions were exactly. As far as I understand from how Donner explains it, he basically chucked everything that they did, all, all yeah. four of them. Uh, the only bit that I know that Puzo had is apparently there was supposedly a scene in the movie where Superman is flying and he sees a bald guy. And he swoops down, assuming it's Lex Luthor, and it turns out, oh, look, it's Telly Savalas. And Telly Savalas <laughs> says to Superman, who loves you, baby? And you're like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, when you hear stuff like that, you're like, God bless Richard Donner because he saved us all from a disaster. Right. Yeah, him and Tom Mankiewicz. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, David Newman and Robert Benton had written the play, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman mm-hmm. uh, back in 1966. So, and then, you know, they, could, they did the TV version a few years before this. And, I mean, that's pretty campy, you know, so that kind of gives you an idea of what we may have been in for if, if we hadn't have gotten Donner and Mankiewicz on this. And that's the very next credit is creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz. And if you look again, if you listen to the audio commentary, when you watch Mankiewicz's name, as it starts to recede into the distance, you see a circle come up on the screen. And Mankiewicz says, see, the circle. Yeah. And it's just a reminder how important I am. My name's in a circle. That's the important thing. And Mankiewicz... <laughs> He got the credit creative consultant because apparently it was some sort of like DGA, not DGA, it would be a writer's guild uh, thing where he right. couldn't, you couldn't throw out what the other guys did. And so Donner gave him the sort of vague credit of creative consultant. But the way he signified how important Mankiewicz was is that he put Mankiewicz's credit after the writer's credit, which normally in the way movies work, the closer you get to the end of the credits, that's how big you know, bigger contribution you've given. And so apparently the, the Writers Guild was not happy with Richard Donner that he did that, that he put Mankiewicz, <laughs> he put Mankiewicz further along in the credits than the other guys, but Donner didn't care because, he, as he says on the auto-commentary, you deserve full writing, full writing credit, Tom, because apparently whatever you like about the Superman screenplay, it is the work of Tom Mankiewicz. Yeah, so, and I, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, and so we then get associate producer Charlie Greenlaw, and then the final part of this five minutes is a credit where it says executive producer Ilya Salkind. And that is the end of the five minutes. So we're still into the credits. We're still going with the credits at this point. Long credit sequence. But we're almost getting to the, the big stuff. So that is the first five minutes of – I'm sure six minutes really – of Superman the movie. Uh, so, Chris, <laughs> uh, how excited are you about where we are here in the, in the movie? <laughs> well – <laughs> my dad who didn't he didn't see superman the movie he didn't he didn't take me to see that uh the the first time in the theater uh, some cousins did but uh, the first time we watched it on tv he said these are the longest credits in movie history that's what <laughs> that's what he said and uh, it didn't bother me because i got to hear the music but you know 
how you know how cool would it be to see your name up on the screen with credits like this? I mean, yeah, yeah. This this had to boost even the biggest actor's ego to have your you know your your name just come in and it's like you know this awesome font and it's you know as this transition as it's like this almost like a laser beam shooting across the screen you know i mean it's uh if if credits and just simple names can ever be exciting then then it's here this you know other than maybe a few movies that have like actual animated film sequences film intros and like the james bond movies i'm not i'm excluding those but for just to have you know uh just text and other than the uh, background effects this has to be like the best title sequence of any movie ever, credit sequence. So yeah, it's I, it's really beautiful. It's and again in the, the audio commentary they were talking about how uh, they got these credits done. You know the Greenlaw Richard Greenlaw guy got them done, or at least a big chunk of them done, and then uh, he sent them over to Donner, and everyone was working so hard because of course they were making two movies simultaneously, and everyone was exhausted and really kind of in a demoralized state. And then Richard Donner screened the credits, or at least a chunk of the credits, uh, which were used for the trailer, the early trailer, for the crew. And Tom Mankiewicz describes it as, he said, it was just a huge shot in the arm. It just made everybody so thrilled to see these credits. You know, it was just like, oh, man, we're, we're really working on something cool here. You know, like it, it, right. was, it was the exact boost that they needed. And that's, you know, aside from all the creative stuff about just being a director about how to direct actors and how to set up shots you know to be a film director you have you're the you're the boss you're the ringleader you have to be the guy that's marshalling your forces and that shows that richard donner you know knew how to do that he knew how to yeah. you know give everybody a you know a boost right at the right at the time they needed it the most well i think that's one criticism that even the the cast would later have of of richard lester that 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 sense of of leadership was was now missing from the films you know that 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 camaraderie that hey we're all in this together that the kind of you know almost like the the cheerleader dad role <laughs> that donner had was was not filled by lester he was simply directing a movie you know yep. Yep. Uh, yep. so I, I think you know you're that's 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 what uh, that's why everybody has such glowingly loving things to say about Richard Donner, just about any actor that's worked with him. So that's, he just seems like a really cool guy. He sure does. I, I have such a big crush on him. I would want to hang out with him so bad, but you know, I'll never, probably never get the chance. But I mean, when I heard the audio commentary again, I keep talking about it between Donner and Mankiewicz. I was like, if I could have just hang out with those two guys, just go get a beer yeah. with those two guys and hear them tell stories. Uh, now, right. Unfortunately, Mr. Mankiewicz has, has since left us. But uh, Donner's still around. I, I'm not giving up hope someday. Maybe I'll get to meet him or something. Just tell him how much I love. Maybe he'll he'll get wind of this movie movie uh, minute show. So uh, maybe I guess we should wrap up here. Do we have anything else we want to say before we, we wrap up the show? Well, you know, I was just gonna say, um, you know, the the opening bit with the the screen and the comic and all that. That's always kind of puzzled me a little bit because it. I've always kind of wondered, you know, what was the motivation for that? Why not go straight into the credits? And I've got kind of two theories. One is to kind of that uh, to kind of let the audience know. Oh, now wait a minute. We're we're going to get to Metropolis and all that stuff and the Daily Planet that you know because you probably you know you might have read comics when you were a kid. You watched the old George Reeves show. You know that's where everything happens. We're going to get there, but here's a little taste, and and we'll get back to it in a little bit. So that could be one reason. And another is I think just kind of the the nostalgia factor. Everything was nostalgic. 
in the late 70s post Watergate. I think you you had, uh, you know, Happy Days was big on TV. Uh, Grease was big on Broadway. It was soon going to be a big movie. Or this very year, I think, Grease came out. And, uh, you know, then you had uh, American Graffiti a few years before. And then you had, you know, uh, you had uh, the Dick Tracy comic from DC came out and the Shadow series. And they tried to do Doc Savage. And so as a movie that didn't go over, but because it was campy. Uh, but, but uh, you know, I, I think maybe that was they were I think that was trying to say, hey, look, here when you were kids, uh, adults that are at the movies with your kids, you remember this. This is what you used to do. You used to sit on the floor and read these old comics. Well, we're going to we're going to take you back there, but we're going to, you know, spruce it up a little bit and modernize it. That's 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 kind of why I think they did that, but I'm always I never have really heard the real reasoning by it because it they never go back to that. You know, there's no end. The curtain doesn't draw at the end of the movie and it there's no other thing like that in any of the sequels so it's just it's just always kind of you know the motivation for it's always kind of puzzled me but that's the the best two uh guesses i can come up with that's i never really thought about that but you're right yeah i mean superman this movie is a real sort of corrective to what was going on in the culture and of course there's even a line sort of you know related to the corruption in government at the time which we'll get to further on down right. in the show but yeah, yeah. This, this movie this is you know donner took superman seriously uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's not that this film doesn't have humor. It has a lot of humor. Uh, but it, it, it retreats, it treats Superman, the concept, with respect. And that is yes. something that was unheard of with comic book movies in 1978. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, it worked so well for kids like uh, Chris and I. You know, it, it just, it was, it was heartfelt. And uh, plus it's just a slam bang action movie filled with great performance. I mean, he really managed to pull everything together. Uh, in this one yes. movie, and it's, it holds up really beautifully well, which we will explore in later episodes of the show. So I guess we're going to stop here. This is the uh, our first episode of Superman Movie Minute. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave comments on our site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. There you can find all the various shows that I host, that Chris hosts, that we host together, that we host with other people. <laughs> it's a whole tons of shows over on the uh, Fire and Water Podcast Network. And like I said, we're going to be posting the show weekly, and we'll be doing every five minutes. So uh, please leave us a comment and let us know what you think of the show. And I guess uh, that's going to do it. So we'll join us next week for another episode of Superman Movie Minute. This country is safe again, Superman, thanks to you. No, sir. Don't thank me, Warden. We're all part of the same team. Night.